Right, so we're continuing in our series in the life of David. For those that are just joining us and finding out who we are and what we're doing, we are preaching through the life of David, and we are at a place of David's turning point. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Today, I want you guys to actually bring your Bibles out because I want you guys to follow along in the story, right? So we're going to go through chapter 11 and 12. We're going to go through the entire story um, of, and this is this famous story of David and Bathsheba and the death of Uriah. When most people think of David, there are two main stories that they think of, David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. So... This story is not unfamiliar, and we know that this story is where everything turned for David. And so we're going to look into it because this is really not just about David's sin, but it's about God's grace. It's about God's redemption, and it's about God's forgiveness. And so before we go into this, let's pray. Father God, as we look into this story today of David and Bathsheba, Lord, may your grace fall on this church. Lord, may we be able to see the full gospel of of Jesus Christ in this story as we dive into a famous story that is made famous through paintings and through references and through all of these modern uh, day um, sayings. And Father God, we just pray today that we take a look at the story and we're challenged in our hearts and we're encouraged in our spirit. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. Second Samuel chapter 11. We're going to start there. David is currently at the peak of his career as king. He's probably in his 40s. He's won many battles. God is blessing him and establishing him as king. He's at the prime of his life, mid-40s, right? Prime of your life. 40s is the new 30s. That's what I tell myself. I'm going into the 40s next year, so uh, I have to tell myself something, right? So we pick up David's army. We pick up, and David's army is in battle in Rabbah, which is in modern-day Jordan. Okay, so they're they're fighting what is known as the Ammonites. So if you know modern-day Jordan, what's the capital city of Jordan? It's Amman which the ancient city is called Ammon. And so this is where the battle is being taken place. So David's army, David sends his army into battle. David wakes up from his nap on his couch in the afternoon, and he's strolling around, and he looks down. And in his, in his sights, he sees a very beautiful woman bathing. So King David's house, the, where the king's house is situated, is usually at the highest point of the city. It's at the highest point of the city for a reason. It's because it has the best vantage points for if any enemy comes to attack. And so the king's house is always at the highest point of the city, and so when it looks down, and King David is walking around the roof of his house, right? So this is kind of like a rooftop patio. He's kind of chilling. He's, he, he's, he's walking around, and in his sights, he sees a woman bathing, so David goes and asks about this beauty that he has just seen and that he's laid upon, and he asks his servants, who is this woman? Let's just stop there first, because within these first three verses, 
there are already several red flags that are here. And we've, we haven't even really gone into the heart of the story yet. First is that David is napping while his mighty men are out fighting. That David is not active in the plans of God and that God has laid before him. In the time of David, verse 1 tells us that the kings went out to battle. The fact that David didn't go out to battle is that David is in a place where he's getting very comfortable. He's getting his com- very comfortable and he's letting his guard down. You see, David had been fighting the Lord's battle for, for all the battles before that, but this particular battle he chose to stay home. That is the first red flag. Because kings in those days, they fought the battles, and they, when they took over a city, when the kings enter the city, they conquer that city, and in his name, that city is claimed. It is always claimed in the name of the king. And so with David not being there, when the battle is won, what happens? Who gets the, to claim the city? Right now, we know that he sent up Joab. Joab is one of David's mighty men. Okay, so David had about 37 mighty men, and it's listed at the end of chapter uh, uh, 2 Samuel. And Joab is one of his mighty men. And so David was at home. That's the first red flag. If we, one of the things that this teaches us is that when we get out of the battle, Okay, when we walk outside of what God has for us, what, what God has laid out before us, what God has given us to steward, we be, become more vulnerable to get into sin. David was not walking according to how God wanted to walk. He, he started doing things on his own accord. He started doing things, uh, making decisions by himself. And in this, he decides, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go fight that battle. I'm tired. I want to rest. I want to do all things. Totally legitimate excuses. But because he was out of battle, sin was able to come in. Second is that David is, that gives us a second red flag, is that David is waking up from an afternoon nap. I'm not against napping. I'm not against saying that you shouldn't rest. I think that rest is, is good for us and that if we need to take an afternoon nap, we need to take an af- afternoon nap. But in this case of David, this isn't telling me that David was resting because he was tired. David was resting because David was bored. He had nothing to do. He was in a place where he has let his guard down. And what happens next is more because of his boredom than because of anything else. He sees a woman bathing and lust creeps into his spirit and overwhelms his thought. You know that the number one reason when asked of people struggling with pornography and pornography addictions and sex addictions is that they give into temptation because of boredom. Number one reason. The highest traffic for pornography happens on Sunday. The day for the highest traffic of porn is on Thanksgiving. Porn addiction increases infidelity by 300%. 75% of people ages 18 to 30 said they, they watch porn at least once a month. And one-third of that percentage is women. Pornography has plagued our society, and it, it's not something that is new. This aspect of lust, this aspect of 
Living by the flesh is not something that is new. As we see here in David, what David is doing is as he's looking down into his city, he sees a woman bathing. What he could have done is he could have averted his eyes and continued doing. But instead, he practiced what we call his voyeurism today. Peeping Tom looks into that and allows his heart to fester, allows his heart to be given into temptation, and he starts lusting after Bathsheba. This aspect of living in the flesh was also a struggle for David. We clearly see that he gave into his temptations. He calls for Bathsheba. Let's look at who this character Bathsheba is. Bathsheba, in, in Scripture here, it says he's the daughter of Eliam, which is, one of David's, which is also one of David's mighty men. Eliam is a son of Ahithophel, which we're going to learn later in the, in, in the chapter, who is actually one of David's senior counselors. And he is the wife of Uriah, which is also one of David's mighty men. So this is a person that is not unknown to David, that she isn't just a girl that is available. When David goes and sends and asks his people, who is this woman? The, woman, the men, his servants tell him, this is the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah. They're telling David, this is your closest people to you, the wife and the daughter and the granddaughter of these people. That already should have been a warning for David. That already should have been one of those things where David's like, oh, okay, I get it, done, my eyes need to be averted. I need to confess of my, my, my lust. I should have stopped it there and be done with that. But David doesn't. David sees this beautiful woman, is com- completely overtaken by, by his lust and his flesh. And despite knowing the ties that she has to him, David calls for her. She comes and he sleeps with her. Now, most of the time when we talk about this story, we focus, about, we focus on David's sin and lusting and then committing adultery. And oftentimes, we assume that it was a consensual thing that Bathsheba, was also, that Bathsheba also committed adultery. But I'm going to present today an alternative perspective. And it's a perspective that isn't so widely spoken of. Because sometimes we have a hard time in accepting certain characteristics of people that we look up to. And David is one of those characters that we look up to. But I think that if I don't preach this, I do a disservice to this story. That is, in the case of Bathsheba, she had no choice in the matter of what happened here. That this is a king of a nation that is calling to her. If a king asks of something, it's almost as if God asked you to do something because the king was anointed by God, chosen by God, and, when, and David was a spokesperson for God. So in that context, I don't think that when David called for Bathsheba that she had a choice in declining his request. That Bathsheba wasn't bathing to seduce David, as, many, as, as some scholars have pointed out. That it actually says in the Bible here that Bathsheba was coming off her menstrual cycle and according to the Mosaic laws of, 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 of cleaning herself, that was the time to do it. It just so happened that David woke up at that same time. 
we currently, I can't imagine the amount of pressure that Bathsheba had. I can't imagine, imagine that how Bathsheba must have felt the moment when the king sends for you, that people come to your door, knock on your door, you're just doing your own thing, and all of a sudden it's like, the king wants to see you. Isn't that a very intimidating thing for a woman? That the most powerful man in the nation wants to see you. So, of course, Bathsheba couldn't say no to that. She goes and in the presence of David, and remember, this is the king we're talking here. Servants are probably terrified of David. They're just doing what David is asking them to do. And whatever happens in the chambers, you think they're, they're going to be bold enough to walk in on that and call him out on that. No, this was a situation where David had power, that the power that are given to men is overwhelming for women and pressures, and the pressure that women have in these situations can be paralyzing. In essence, what I'm saying is that in this situation, Bathsheba was raped. I know this is hard for us to see, that King David would do such a thing. But I cannot look at these passages and not see that this is a warning from God that I believe that God allows this to be written because God looks out for our cultural systemic problems and looks out for, for all the Bathshebas that are out there. We currently live in a culture that allows for things like this to happen. We live in a system where women are caught in situations of power with no voice to speak out. In fact, women are silenced. We live in a system where men of influence can take advantage of that influence and power and get away with sins. King David took advantage of this position and committed a sin against Bathsheba because in chapter 12, we see that when the prophet Nathan calls David out on his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, that it was only David that had sinned, not Bathsheba, only David had sinned. God allowed for this story to be told because God knows that this is Man's heart. In our culture today, we see many examples of men in power taking advantage of this power. Men like Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein or Larry Nassar or Peter Nygaard or R. Kelly, and the list continues to grow. This also happens, unfortunately, in the church as well with recent allegations towards Ravi Zacharias and Bill Hybels, where the church ministry and church growth was more important than the truth of the women that were victimized, that these things become hidden. David's story here with Bathsheba should serve as a warning for those in power, as, as a warning to the church that we should be reminding each other of these stories so to keep each other accountable in our actions By not preaching this side of the story, we only see a story of repentance and not of severe consequence. We fail to see the victims of the story and only elevate the king. God sees the Bathshebas out there and speaks out for them. The church, as a church, we also need to protect protect those that are, are taken advantage of because of this system. There is a system in our society that protects men in power and silences victims. As a man, I have the responsibility of changing this system and speaking against this action. I hold what we call male privilege 
And with that privilege, I could choose to protect the victims and not to shame or silence victims. I can call out speech or actions that make women feel intimidated or inadequate or unable. Because the system favors men, and it is up to men to change how we treat women. This isn't a woman's issue. This is a men's issue. In fact, the Bible, the beginning of the story of 1 Samuel, God actually teaches us how we are to treat women. We see that in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 1, there's a character called Elkanah. This is Samuel's father. And how he treats Hannah, the mother of Samuel. That Hannah, who is the wife that was barren, was mocked and shamed by the, the first wife. And in that culture, it was very, very, the, the, the position of a woman was, be, was based off of their ability to give birth to children, to provide for, for, for the family in that way. But Hannah was barren, and, but Elkanah didn't treat her as secondary. But what Elkanah did was he always gave her double portion that he loved her just as much as he loved his first wife that bore children, but even more so because she, he knew the place that she was in, that she was looked upon as, a, as, as downcasted because she could not bear children. How can I show favor by giving her double portions? God teaches us that this is the way that we need to treat women. This is the way that as men and as as husbands that we need to lift up women, that they are our equals in how he created us. As David commits this one sin, David continues to cover up what he did. He covers up one sin with another and murders Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Uriah is one of David's mighty men. These mighty men are not just just soldiers in his army. These are mighty men are within David's inner circle. They're his greatest warriors. They're his greatest soldiers. And so what David does is he, he, he betrays one of his own friends, brothers, comrade. This is... Warriors at arm here. We're talking about like, these are the guys I want on my right side, left side, front side, and back side. He betrays him. He calls calls him out of battle. He goes, sends word to Joab and calls Uriah out of battles and brings him back. Uriah, this is probably about a 40-mile trek, so it takes a long time for him to come back. So he comes back. He's confused. He's like, we're at, we're at the heat of battle. Why am I coming back? David then basically sees Uriah. Uriah's like, okay, what is it? Is there something that you need me to do? Is there a special mission? Is there something more that you need from me? Do I need to lead the battalion over to another place? No, David goes, how's the battle going? How are things going out there with Joab? Very casually, and Uriah is confused. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, why are you calling me out of the thick of battle back home just to ask me about how things are going? We have messengers for these things. We don't need you to send me back to tell you how the battle is going. Send a messenger to figure this out. But David tells Uriah, what did he say? He's like, go wash your feet. This is euphemism for go sleep with your wife. What David is trying to do is he's trying to cover up his sin. 
Because Bathsheba comes to David after he sleeps with her, after, after he rapes her, basically saying, I'm pregnant. And David's like, oh, well, I've committed adultery, and the, the sin for adultery is death, according to the Mosaic laws. And so, as a king, I cannot be exposed in that, so I'm going to bring her husband back, have him sleep with her so that we could pass off this pregnancy as his. You see, there was no DNA test back then, and so this was kind of the, a, a good plan. But it was a sin to cover up another sin. But Uriah, being one of a man of character, instead of goes, going back home, he sleeps at the gate of the palace. So he doesn't go home. And so when David finds this out, David's like, oh, okay, I need him to go home somehow. So what he does is the second night, second day, he goes and wines and dines him. He basically feeds him. They have these feasts. He, he's trying to get him drunk so that he could go home to sleep with his wife. But again, because Uriah is a man of character, Uriah does not go home and again sleeps at the palace at the palace gate, instead of going home to his wife. And when David asks him and confronts him, well, why are you not going home? Uriah says, the Ark of the Covenant is out in battle. All my men are out in battle. Joab is out in battle, and they're all sleeping in the field. How could I, in good conscience, go home and enjoy my wife and enjoy my bed and enjoy the comforts of my own home when I know that this is my responsibility. This is my battle to be fighting. This is what God has called me to do to help further the kingdom. Uriah knew exactly who he was. So what David does is that he has no other choice but to end Uriah's life. And so David sends word to Joab. So he writes a note, seals it with the king's seal, and sends it back to Joab. Nobody is allowed to open this letter except for Joab because it has a king's seal on it. If you open a letter with the king's seal on it, you, it's, it's a death penalty. Okay, If it's not for you, this is a death penalty for you. So he sends it word to Joab, tells Joab to send Uriah into the most dangerous part of battle, and when Uriah gets there to pull back the army to expose Uriah so that he gets killed. I mean, for Joab, that must have been a hard thing for him to do. It must have been a hard thing for him to do because Joab has fought with Uriah. It's not like Joab doesn't know who Uriah is. Uriah is not a nobody. He's one of the mighty men of David. And Joab receives this, but he cannot decline what the king has asked him to do. And so Joab does exactly what David asked. Sends Uriah into the most dangerous part of battle, to the wall, basically, and then pulls back his men, and Uriah is killed. And so when Joab sends the messengers back, he even sends back, he's like, tell David this is what happened. And if David gets angry, tell him that your servant Uriah is dead and see what happens. And so when the servant sends, goes back to David and tells David, this is what happened, some of our men died, David comes a, a little bit like, what are you guys doing? Why would you do that? Why are you guys going to the wall to fight? That's a stupid move. And then the servant goes, 
well, your servant Uriah is dead. David's tone changes immediately, and he's just like, go and encourage Joab and say, what you've done is okay, that you're pardoned from this. Because David knew that he, he did exactly what he was asked to do. To cover up his own sin, David kills Uriah. When Bathsheba heard that Uriah was killed, she lamented over her husband. Her lament, the Hebrew word for lament, is she wailed and cried. For us, this shows and proves that Bathsheba loved her husband and isn't a co-conspirer in the adultery with David. That Bathsheba didn't want this for herself. That Uriah was her husband and that Uriah is her first love. And that Uriah was the one that she has, has given herself to. And so after David allows Bathsheba to mourn and then takes her in as a wife. To cover one sin, David had to commit another sin. And in his lust, he committed adultery and then betrayed three people that are close to him and then killing one. David took things into his own hands, and in many ways, this is his cover-up. Why? Because he had the power to do so. This was actually warned to Israel in 1 Samuel 8 when Israel asked for a king. God, through the prophet Samuel, warned Israel that the king who will reign over you, that, that power will corrupt the king, that you will have sons and daughters in your land, and he will take them, and then he will take 10% of all you have, and the king will reap what he wants. And even in David, who was a great king, gave into that and took what he wanted. He took Bathsheba and then covered up his sin by killing Uriah. The corruption of human desire and the misuse of power should, be, should make us feel uncomfortable and unsettled. Because when we are unsettled, it makes us confront ourselves in how we contribute to a system that supports these actions. I believe that things are being brought out today politically and socially. All of the movements that are happening, the BLM movements, the Me Too movements, the anti-Asian sentiment movements, all of these things is God's way of making us confront issues that are systematic. What David did fooled the eyes of men, but it didn't escape the eyes of God. Chapter 12, David is rebuked by the prophet Nathan, and, and basically Nathan, this prophet, had one of the hardest jobs in the world. He had to confront the king of, of his sin, offend him, and he could end your life. So Nathan spoke through story. He tells a story to David where there is a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many flocks and herds, and the poor had one little, am, one little lamb that they brought up and loved and really cherished. And then there was a visitor that was coming by. The visitor comes by to the rich man, and instead of killing one of his own of herds of, of flock and sheep, he goes to the poor man, takes his sheep, and slaughters it and prepares it for the guests to come over. That is the story that Nathan tells David. And David hears this story and is livid. He's angry. He's like, how could that rich man do such a thing to the poor man? 
that man deserves to die. And I love Nathan's response. He says, that man is you. That is like a mic drop moment where David hears that and he is convicted. He's convicted of his sins. He's convicted and, and, and knows that God sees what he's done. In Psalms 38, we, we, it, it gives us the emotion that David was going through when all this went down. David goes and asks God not to rebuke him in anger or discipline him in his wrath. He says, for your arrows have sunk into me and your hands has come down on me. David laments because he knows that his friends and companions also stand aloof from my plague and the nearest of, my nearest of kin also stand far off. David knows that even his servants know that he did something wrong. That the servants that he called to go and get Bathsheba to bring in, he knows that these people know that I've done something wrong, but do not punish me in your wrath. Then Nathan goes on and delivers God's judgment onto David. He says that the murder of Uriah will bring murder into your family. And God will take your wives for how you have taken Bathsheba and give them to your neighbors and they will be raped. That all of these things will not only be done, done to them, but they will be done in public. Because what you did was in private. And that even the child that is conceived out of this incident will die. We see that all these things literally happen over the next couple chapters. We see that for the next couple decades of David's reign and in his life, that he sees sons killing each other, that there's distrust in his household, that his wives are being taken, that even his sons are raping daughters. These are all consequences of this one sin that David did with Bathsheba. But yet, David understood something. David understood that if he runs to God, that God will spare him. God, in Psalms 38, the end of it says, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So God's answer to David's plea was this. That the Lord has, all, has put away your sins and you shall not die. This is God's grace when you come into repentance. That God pours out his love in place of sin. That the death that was paid for this sin happens to be the son of this sin. But God continues to lift up what was wrong to make things right. This is the gospel. That God will always make, things wrong, make the wrongs right. The consequence of adultery was death. Death needed to be paid and death was paid by that son. Ultimately, God ultimately sacrificed his son Jesus for all sin, and God doesn't stop there. Bathsheba was sinned against. She was taken advantage of, and then losing her beloved husband. God brings judgment to those who bring sin into their lives and extends grace to those who are victims of sin. So God sees that Bathsheba was afflicted and speaks up for Bathsheba. How? God raises Bathsheba by giving her a second son and this second son is Solomon. And Nathan comes again as Solomon was born 
And he delivered a message of love. And he called him Jedidiah, which means the beloved. The same prophet that delivered judgment, the judgment of God to David now gives a message of love and raises Solomon up to be the next king. This is so that he could restore Bathsheba for what David has taken away from her. This is how God is, is that he always replaces judgment and wrath with love. This is the love expressed through God's grace and kindness. This brings David to his knees into a place of full repentance. Psalms 51 is David's heart after Nathan rebukes him. And this is what we find in Psalms 51. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David understood who God was. He understood God's judgment, his wrath. He understood that what he did deserved all of God's judgment and all of God's wrath. He knew that what he deserved and the consequence of what he's done was death. But David also knew that God is a God of love and God of mercy. And so he goes back to God and he pleads. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. The gospel of God is always love, that he always is there to make relationships right. However, we don't want, God isn't one to be taken advantage of. In, in, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul warns us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows into his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows into the Spirit, still from the Spirit, reap eternal life. David understood this exact thing. That if I continue to walk in God's Spirit, that God will continue to spare my life. And God will continue to show me his love. And continue to show me his mercy. David had a misstep. He walked out of line with God to begin with. He should have been in the battle. If he was at the battle, none of this would have happened. David misstepped outside of those lines, and David fell into sin. This is a familiar story for us. But oftentimes, it just, we, we focus on the aspect of just repentance. And yes, this story is about repentance. It is about God's grace and his, his love poured out. This is the gospel message that God wants us to hear. But this is also a story that God speaks out for those that are afflicted, that those, are, those that were sinned against. We in this church have Bathshebas in our midst where they were put into situations where they didn't have a choice and that men in power have took, taken advantage over them. God sees these people. God sees these women. God sees these sisters. God sees these, these women that, were, that, were, that are in a system where men were protected over what happened to them as, as a victim. God sees that and God says, I am going to, I see your heart. I see where you are and I will lift you up. And just as God lifted up Bathsheba and restored Bathsheba as the new king's mother, David had many wives and many sons. But God chose Solomon for a reason because God saw just how the mistreatment of Bathsheba. 
And God needed to restore Bathsheba back to who she was. God sees all of this. This is a familiar story of great sin and of great shame. This isn't for us to look at David to say, look what he's done, but for us to approach this story with humility, looking towards ourselves as we also are sinners. David's story and sin gives opportunity for the riches of God's grace to be openly manifested for the world to see. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you. That in this story, there are so many different lessons for us to learn. But Lord, we know that in this story, one of the things that we can learn from is that we could run to you. That we could come to you, that we could... That no matter what we've done, whether we are a victim or whether we are a sinner, that we could come to you and that you see our hearts, that you see our posture, that you see who we are. That you bring judgment and condemnation to, to the sinner, yet you still show mercy and love for those that confess, for those that repent, for those that, that turn away from you. And you also see for those that have been hurt that you lift them up and you lift their spirit up as well. Father God, we just pray that as we are either a victim or a sinner, that we all could run to you, that this is a message of your gospel, of your available love and mercy being poured out into the world. So Father God, may we see the riches of your grace manifested for the world to see. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just love the way John just brought new life to a to an old story. Just we just see David just deciding to take things out of God's hands and put them in his and he just starts to make mistake after mistake. He decides that he can stay home. He decides that he can be lazy. He he wasn't where he needed to be and then we just see the ripple effects on that of than his actions with Bathsheba and his actions with Uriah. You know, one of the things that really struck out to me is Uriah's comment to David addressing his original sin, which is Uriah says, how can I go home to my family and sleep in my own home when my brothers are out at war? And that was the attitude David should have had at the beginning. We have to remember, these are his mighty men. These are the men that spent... 10 years in caves following David before he was a king, before he was anything. He was just a man with a promise and a heart for God. And unfortunately, in this situation, it was that heart that got lost. And I just feel today the Lord's just saying, you know, some of us have big sins, some of us have little sins, but all of us have sinned. And there are parts to our sin that we have to walk out those consequences. We see David have to walk out those consequences with the, the death of the child, the loss of faith, I'm sure, with his mighty men, with his commander of his army, his servants, and even the loss of some of the promises that God had for him, the, the changing of how his family was going to sit on the throne. And so, but in all of that, there was also grace and there was mercy 
And, you know, as John said, you know, David pouring out saying, give me a clean heart. You know, we, we every day just need to come to the Lord and say, you know, give us a clean heart. We, we know the things we did yesterday. And the Lord isn't dwelling on them when we ask for forgiveness. So we shouldn't dwell on them either. Other than to, to keep them in our mind, to, to move away from them and, and to move into true repentance, which is to not repeat and to not do them again, but, but to cling to God in, in his salvation. So Lord, this morning we just thank you that we could come and learn more of, of the work you are doing, the work that prepares the way for your son to be that, that ultimate salvation for us, that, that ultimate sacrifice, that, that death that paid for the sins of which their only punishment was death, Lord. So we just thank you that in this we learn and in this we grow. And we just pray that in each of us this week, you would just move in our hearts, move in our spirits, challenge us to, to see the things that we do that will lead to bad behaviors and to promote the things that lead to good. So we just pray that we would just reach out to you this week and just and just ask your presence to be upon us, to ask you to, to step into our lives and just be that, that living conscience that, that guides our steps and leads us into actions that promote life and, and promote goodness and joy. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Thank you. Amen. Guys, thank you for joining us. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye.